Good morning, everybody. I'm typically not a State Fair fan, I will confess. But uh, this, time, this week, for the first time ever, uh, I was at the State Fair with my grandkids. <laughs> and now I think I'm more of a fairgoer. It was, <laughs> it was a riot. We just loved it. And it was their first experience, six and four years old. This is not my introduction, by the way. I just thought I'd mention it. <laughs> uh, but it was great. Their eyes were just wide uh, all the whole, after, oh, whole afternoon that we were there with them. And yeah, we definitely put some deep fried pickles in our bodies and all that good stuff. I know, some of you are shaking your head like these people are crazy. And it's true, we are crazy. Um, we are uh, also as a community here at, here at Park, we are crazy about Jesus, aren't we? Uh, we just, we love the Lord and this, the music this morning, this wasn't my official introduction, but it will serve as my introduction. But the worship this morning was just so perfect for what I think we need as we come into the Word of God this morning. Just that God is sovereign. He is faithful. He rules over everything. And our position is to surrender ourselves to Him. To place ourselves before Him. So as we come to the text this morning, I pray and I ask you to come with that. With open hands, with a, with a humble posture uh, before the, the biblical text. We are in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4 uh, this morning. And by the way, I'm not alone. Mike is helping me with my mic. Mike is helping Mike with his mic. What do I need to do? I think it's, I think it's oh, okay. Perfect. Mike needs help Mike's with the mic. Mike. Uh, Michael comes to help Michael. This is amazing. This, this, will, this will never happen again. <laughs> Let's hope. Uh, yeah, when I usually, I preach this text quite a bit, actually, around the world, and uh, never with a microphone, certainly not with a wireless, and usually to a group of about 12 pastors. So we'll talk more about that this morning. I'm not alone today. Um, Linda is going to help me this morning. Actually, we're going to do this together. She's not going to help me. Uh, we're going to do this together. I'm going to start with the text and give a little bit of application along the way, and Linda's going to come and help flesh that out. In the process, we're going to share a little bit about how this text and the context impacts us, how it has shaped our lives, changed our lives, um, how we've lived this out in our uh, global ministry. So let's uh, begin by reading the text. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 to 5. I charge you, this is Paul to Timothy, the Apostle Paul to young Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry." 
Father, we do come before you and your word with a humble posture this morning. I pray that you would touch all of us, including me, as we hear your word, as we read your word, as we reflect on these principles and how they, they impact our lives. We truly give ourselves to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'd like you to imagine something with me. You, you are in your home and the doorbell rings. And uh, you walk to the front door, and you don't know who's there. You're not expecting anybody. And all of a sudden, you open the door, and there is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul. Somehow you know it's him. It could be the bright light next to him, God the Father, in his glory. And miraculous, you are not evaporated. You don't disappear. You're not extinguished. And on the other side is Jesus Christ. And you look at him and his face and the, and the marvel of, his, of who he is. And they're standing in front of, your, in front of you. And above Jesus, and Jesus is in a, a judge's robe. And above Jesus are two images. One is the image of his second coming. And you see him coming down out of the clouds, down to where you are. And, and then the other image is of the eternal kingdom of heaven. You get a glimpse into heaven. And Paul speaks to you and he says, I have a message for you. Would you, would you have your attention? <laughs> I love that, Ross. Ross is like, maybe. <laughs> yeah, he would have our, atten his at uh, our attention, right? The Father, the Son, the, the robe, these, these images... Look at verse 1, and this is how Paul gives this charge to Timothy. He says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. I'm not alone. I have a charge for you, but the Father is with me, and Christ the Son is with me. I have a very, very important message for you. This is a big deal. This is the high point of this book. Paul has talked to Timothy. He's given hard messages to him throughout this book. He comes here, and this is it. This is the punch. This is the, the strong message. Here are these first, actually, eight, eight verses of chapter 4. But he says that Jesus Christ is who is to judge the living and the dead. There's judgment coming, and Jesus is going to bring that judgment, a final judgment. And by his appearing and his kingdom, Christ is going to come back, and he's going to establish his kingdom, his heavenly kingdom forever. This kingdom that is already present in him is going to have its final glory for eternity. There's a lot riding on this charge from Timothy, isn't there? And so he gives him this charge in the presence of God and, and the Father and the Son. And here's the message. Three words in the English language. Preach the word. Preach the word. All that for preach the word? Yes, all that for, the pre for preach the word, because that's how important the word of God is. Today we're going to focus on two things. We're going to focus on the word, 
because that's the focus of the first four verses of this text. And then we're going to focus on the last three words in this uh, section, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. We're going to be reflecting on that together. Preach the word. The follow- I'm part of a group called Pathways to Understand the Bible. We uh, train pastors around the globe. But my, most of my time is spent in Latin America, America Caribbean. Um, this last year, because of COVID and things opening up at different times and rushes in different places, I've been in Romania and India and in two countries in Africa and Bolivia. Kind of, it's been a, I'll never experience that again, I'm sure. And, and what we're teaching pastors and Christian leaders how to do is to study the word and preach the word and live the word. To preach, to study, preach, and live the word of God. So it starts here with this preach the word. Let's look a little bit at the context of this in the book. Look at the verses that precede our text. Chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. This is quite an image. The word of God breathed out of him, and somehow it is into the authors of the, the writers of the, of the Bible, and these are the very words of God that come out from inside of God. But they're not just holy words that come out of God. They are profitable. They're useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God, the word here for um, uh, both men and women, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So if we want to be equipped to do good, good works, we need the word of God in our lives. So this is the power of the word of God. Chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best. The New American Standard has be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved. How, do you, how are you approved by God? A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If you're going to preach the word, you have to know the word, so you have to be able to study it. So Paul, teaches peop- uh, Paul tells Timothy to be one who is not ashamed, but handles accurately the word of truth. So we have a, a nine-course system that we use over three years to teach uh, pastors and Christian leaders how to study their Bible well so that they can pro- proclaim it well. And then lastly, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, I just want to read verse 1 because this is the power that comes behind all of this. You then, my child, Paul says to, to young Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is, in, that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, this is also men and women, that's the word anthropos, entrust to faithful people. And so Paul was telling Timothy, the things I taught you, I want you to pass on to faithful people, and they're going to pass it on to others. We have four generations of leadership here, right? Paul, Timothy, faithful people, others. And so what we do around the world is we teach, we gather a group of master trainers that have been chosen and we teach them and then they go out and train others and in some cases it goes to the fourth generation. In a few cases to seven, eight hundred, a thousand uh, pastors and Christian leaders. 
but normally it goes to about 70 to 100 uh, pastors or leaders through the multiplication. And so this is uh, one of the big themes in the book of 2 Timothy is the word of God. And so Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, be ready, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So he's supposed to be ready. They tell uh, pastors that they should be ready at all times to preach, pray, or die, right? That we should, we should be uh, ready to preach at all times. At all times. When I travel, I actually have, always have a sermon ready because there's a lot of places in the world where you show up and they go, oh, will you preach? <laughs> Serious. And you have to stand up and preach. So you better be ready <laughs> you know, when you do that. So, uh, so we preach the word. We're ready in season and out of season. It took me a long time preaching this before I really grasped this, I think. In season is when their fruit is ripe right? Out of season, no fruit. We preach the word, Andrew, we preach the word when there's fruit and when there's not fruit, right? Because it's the word of God and it must be proclaimed and God will do his work in his time. Our job as preachers is to preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. I just want to stop here and say two things about this ministry of preaching the word. One, we are spoiled. We are ridiculously spoiled. You're thinking, you're preaching this message with a pastor sitting here? <laughs> no, I, and I ran this by him. Uh, uh, and he's like, yeah, do that. But this is really for us preachers, right, mostly? Uh, but this is a church where week after week after week, week we have the word of God preached. When uh, I first met the founder of Pathways, we call our group Pathways, when I first met him, he started telling stories of in Africa and Asia. Most of my life had been in Latin America, but he said, wherever I go, I find that nobody preaches, preaches the word. I'm like, what? He's like, no, like, really, I don't find people that preach the word. What they do is they, they will figure out what they want to talk about, and then they'll find a text, and they'll read the text, and then they'll talk about what they want to talk about. He goes, I'm seeing it all over the place. And then he said, the other thing that I find is people tell me they actually, they pray on the way as they're walking to church. And they pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to say today as they're walking to church? And we've, as I share this with different groups of pastors around the world, invariably somebody comes up and says, yeah, that's what we do. And I was dumbfounded. I was dumbfounded. But the more I travel, the more I train, the more I see that the normal way that people preach is they pick a text, they find something they know, they preach about that. Or they have something that they want to say and they find a text to preach from and they read the text and, and preach what they want. This is no normal. I, of course, it's not everywhere. Of course, there are people around the world that are preaching the word. But this is why we do what we do, because there's so many out there that do not have the feast that we have week after week here at Park. And it's not just Andrew, it's the, whoever's preaching, even the, the global partners the last few weeks, right? They've been, they've been bringing us the word, uh, and I love that. Uh, 
Paul shifts here, like, okay, so preaching the word, you're ready to do it, whether there's fruit or not. And then he says, this is, sounds pretty harsh, to, at least the beginning of it, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Right after saying preach the word, he says rebuke, which is the idea of to expose error, right? Show what's wrong. Show, tell people how they could be messed up, right? We're all picturing the word mess on the screen, right? Because it's been on the screen now for about three months, like mess, right? So expose the mess, right? And then rebuke. Call it out. Call out the mess. Exhort, which is the idea of encouragement. So it's not just calling out error, but it's also encouraging the body of Christ. And you do that with patience and with, with teaching. All this to say, Paul says, preach the word, but then call people to respond. Call people to respond. The word of God is not just beautiful. It's not just holy. It's not just God's word, and it's not just supposed to be preached. It needs to be responded to. This is part of the work of the, of the preaching and teaching of the word. And we're spoiled there too. Because week after week, we are called to a response here at, at Park Community. Verse 3 and 4 talks about why. Why preach the word? Why call people to respond? Listen to this. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Wherever I go, a lot of places I go, people say, don't you think that already happened? I think there's so much to that. I think that the American culture is drifting farther and farther from the truth of the scriptures. Every day, it seems. The gap between biblical truth and our culture is going like this. It's drifting, drifting. And we all have a choice every day. Will we honor God's word? Will we respond to God's word? Or will we follow the culture? The Bible is countercultural. Every once in a while, there are things that mesh, right? And this is beautiful. But... Off, but in, in general, the Bible is countercultural. I was thinking about this, uh, what Andrew did. He was brave going through 1 Corinthians, right? We felt it. There was some, remember when my wife read scripture that one day? <laughs> you know, <laughs> something about women not speaking. Uh, uh, and, but the courage to tackle this book and to deal with divisions in a time when our country has probably never been so divided, where the church has never been so divided. To, to talk about sex out of marriage, to talk about homosexuality, to deal with marriage, to deal with roles of men and women. And week after week, this is what God says. And helping us understand why God says that. The Bible is countercultural, but there are people that want their ears tickled, right? They want to hear something that fits what they believe. They don't want to believe what the Bible says. And so they run around looking for, accumulating for themselves teachers to suit their own 
passions, right? That word passions is strong here. Because a lot of, a lot of what people want is not just ideology, but they want a lifestyle that is, doesn't, does not conform to the word of God. And so they turn away from listening to the tr- truth and they wander off into myths. And so we teach pastors and Christian leaders to preach the word, to help people respond to the word of God, and to be faithful to the text, no matter what. Let me just stop here and have us reflect as a family about how our lives are, our rhythms, when it comes to the word of God. How important is the word of God in our daily rhythms, in our weekly rhythms. We are so blessed. We have so many translations. Uh, I don't even know how many we have in the English language. It's unbelievable. And we have really good translations. We have Google. We can just ask Google. I don't understand this. Ask Google, right? <laughs> you got great tools online, free, that we, can, that we can use. Do we use any of that stuff to know what the Word says and to surrender ourselves to the Spirit and His work in us? What are your rhythms like? As a kid, uh, those of us that grew up in the church, we heard over and over, read the Bible, pray every day. Read the Bible, pray every day. Right? Read the Bible. We sang songs about it. Right? So I don't mean this at all as a, as a, a burden for you, as a law, as something like, you've got to be more disciplined. I'm talking about the delight of being in the word and letting it shape us sometimes it's hard but it always shapes us and it transforms us god uses it to transform us and so how are our rhythms did you know you can read the bible in from front to back in just over 70 minutes 70 hours Did you know? (laughs) I love that. (laughs) They should make a blooper reel about me. I always have something. Right? 70, oh, oh, the silence was golden. (laughs) 70 hours. Just over 70 hours. You can listen to the Bible, I I read yesterday, uh, in uh, an audible form, in about 90 hours. And so, that's not an incredible amount of time, Right? How many hours in a year can you, can you soak the word of God? I believe we need to soak ourselves into this book. This is breathed out by God for us. So let's, let's study it. Thank you for the amen. Let's study it. Let's soak it. And let most of all, let's live it. Let's respond to it. Finally, Paul Uh, says this, and we're going to camp on this verse for for a number of minutes now. As for you, always be sober-minded. The NIV has a nice translation here. Keep your head, it says. Be sober-minded. It's the idea of being under control, rational, keeping your head, keeping your wits about you is the idea of this. Always be sober. In a few seconds, we're going to see why Timothy really needs to keep his head, head on. Endure suffering. There's a theme in this book. Chapter 1, right out, right out of the gate, verse 8, Paul says to Timothy, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his 
prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. The gospel is worth suffering for. Following Christ is worth suffering for. And Timothy was called to follow Christ and to lead the church, number of churches, he's a regional leader, and there would in, it would involve suffering. It would involve suffering. Do the work of an evangelist, he says. He, apparently, Timothy was in a weakened position and he wasn't as being as bold. He was ashamed, actually, of the gospel, we find from chapter 1. And then he ends, fulfill your ministry. The stakes were very high. Linda's going to explain more about this in a second. But look at the following verses, our context. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Timothy, I'm about to die. This is it. He's about to die. And now he's passing the baton on to Timothy. And he wants him to be serious. He needs to have his, keep his head, be willing to suffer, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill his ministry. I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. I feel like I was made for it. But it was a lifelong process of getting there, right? Of seeking the Lord. It started when I was 15 and I surrendered my life to Christ. The next year, God had me in the Philippines on a, on a sports uh, basketball team. And, and just one thing after the other. And I never had certainty, right? But I, it, it was, I just started by surrendering to whatever he had. And all of a sudden, things just started to unfold piece by piece by piece. It wasn't until I was, what, 52 years before I really found this, right? 52 years old. And so... Uh, it took me a long time to figure out what my, my lifelong calling was. So Linda's going to come and help us reflect on that uh, further. I need to do, oh, hello. I'm back. Um, well, I don't know, but for me, I listen to Mike preach, and I think, well, that's great. He's a preacher. He's a well, you're not an evangelist, but you're better at evangelism than I am. And it's easy to go, well, that works for him. That really isn't me. But I'm here to say we are all uniquely made by God to fulfill the purposes that he has for each one of us, not to fulfill the ministry that he made somebody else to do. In the end of verse 5, it says, fulfill your ministry. My calling is different than Mike's. Yours probably is too. And maybe you haven't even figured it out yet. Uh, when we left Brazil in 2009, after 20 years of being church planners in the city of Rio de Janeiro, um, we found ourselves back here in Minnesota. He was stepping into his new role, super fulfilled. And I found myself going, okay, now what, God? What do, what do I, I don't know what to do. Um, so if you're sitting there thinking right now, I don't really know what my ministry is, here's some practical thoughts for you. Um, first off, pray and wait. Um, God really longs for each of us to know how he made us to serve him. 
Um, sometimes I think it would be nice if this like billboard came down from the sky, right? Like the screen. It's like, this is what you're supposed to do next. Wouldn't that be awesome? I often say that. I would just so do that. I'm like, I'll do that. Just tell me what to do. Why is it so hard to figure out? But what I've come to see over my lifetime is the process of seeking him, of drawing near, of praying and waiting on him. I think God really loves that. Because if, if it were just a billboard go do this, we would be so focused on doing and very little time on being with him. So first thing, pray and wait on him. And then think about your life experience and consider that God doesn't waste anything. What are you good at? What are you gifted at? What are you talented at? What have been your life experiences? What have you studied? Um, Think about the things that you've experienced, both good and bad. Are a musician? If you're a musician, worship God. Use your worship to worship God. You can teach it. You can be a part of the church here and lead worship. Are you athletic? Are you funny? God can use that to build relationships with people and influence them for Christ. I just talked yesterday to a dear friend of mine who recently retired, and she loves to cook. And she told me she started to volunteer at a low-income housing building, and she's teaching how to cook on a budget. How cool is that? What if you're shy and you like to read, and you think, well, how can God use that? What if, what if you joined a book club? And that's a place where people are there to share their thoughts and ideas, so you don't even have to push yourself on anybody. Are you curious about something new? I mean, maybe you're even curious about missions. Like, well, how do I know if God might be calling me to missions? You know, try it. Sometimes just trying something new, you'll see like, wow, this is, I feel awesome. I feel God's pleasure. It's like, you know, chariots of fire. When he, I feel God's pleasure when I run. Sometimes just trying something new, you might get an idea of what God has for you. I love how verse 5 says, fulfill your ministry, not anybody else's. It's so easy to get stuck in the comparison game. I'm not Mike. I'm not going around the world preaching and teaching. And that's okay. God made you wonderfully and without mistake. God can use anything in your past for his glory and his good. Your pain and your life experiences, as we put these things in his hands, he can turn our ashes into beauty. And in verse 5, Paul also says, he says, keep our heads. He says, keep our heads in all situations and endure hardship. Sometimes I think when we face hardship, we think that maybe we're outside of God's will or that maybe God has abandoned us. But what if it's our hardship that he wants to use for his glory? About halfway through our 20 years in Brazil, I wasn't sure if I could stay there anymore. Um, I'd been homeschooling our kids, and I didn't like it. I'm not a good homeschooling mom, to say it. <laughs> the other women on our team, they were so fulfilled in homeschooling, and they were loving it. And I'm like, ah, there's something really wrong with me. Um, I was teaching little kids at church. Didn't like that either. That was not working for me either. Um, we were living in a world-class city in an apartment building on a 12-lane highway, and my soul was shriveling up. So we came on a year home assignment, and I had to do a bunch of healing and a bunch of soul searching. Could I go back? What would it look like if I went back? Um, 
the rest of the family was thriving. So part of me was like, I'm called as a missionary. I always said, you know, it's like, if I come home, it's going to be in a box, right? I'm not going to cry uncle. I'm not going to say I can't do this because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But I wasn't well. Out of that dark time came a number of changes um, in my soul and in my circumstances. We did go back for another 10 years. But I didn't homeschool anymore. I helped start a Christian school, and I served on the board of that school for 10 years. I didn't teach little children at church anymore. I taught teens and women, and I loved it. We moved from our apartment to a house that had green space, and I discovered that my soul really connects to God through nature. And what I didn't realize at the time was that God was using that hardship to prepare me to come alongside missionary women and help them figure out how to endure on the field for the long haul and understand how God made them. So in 2009, when we were called off the field, I took a new position. I was invited to join our missionary care team with Reach Global. Um, And I started to use the things that were hard in my life, the things that God had taught me along the way to come alongside women and help them. I love this verse, and I know you guys know it, but 2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So quickly, I think we move to that second part, and we go, God does this so that I can be a comfort to others. But I don't want you to miss that first part. Your loving Heavenly Father is a God of all compassion, and he loves to comfort you. So stay in that first place for a while. When you go through a hardship, let him comfort you. He is a God of all compassion. And then he can use that to bless others. Five years ago, God redirected me again within our missionary care team, and I went back to school to become a spiritual director. And that part was just kind of pursuing a desire in my heart to seek him in a deeper way. And he, God led me to change my role um, within our missionary care team. So today, as you seek to fulfill your ministry, consider who God has made you to be. Consider your life experiences, good and bad. Endure hardship with God's help, knowing that those hardships can be turned into beauty in the gentle hands of an all-powerful God who loves to redeem everything. Uh, Ten days ago, um, I was here for the memorial service of Louis Groot. Um, I never met him uh, he's, he was sick for many years, and uh, but to hear his story was moving. He he was park, part of Park since 1972, I think maybe, and uh, he uh, he loved to work with his hands. And whenever something broke, they called Louis, and he came running. He just loved to serve, and he loved uh, to work with young boys and. And he started this ministry where dads, where men would would uh, be like a surrogate father, uh, dad to kids that didn't they really didn't have that father figure. And uh, he just invested in 
boys. That, my friends, is a beautiful life. And they said, uh, I think it was Bill said, that his, if he had a middle name, it should be Faithful Servant, right? There are so many ways to fulfill the ministry that God has for you. Do you love to hold babies? Okay, I'm not thrilled about holding babies, and I'm not, certainly not thrilled about, about changing diapers, you know, but I did change diapers, right? And, uh, but we need people to do this, don't we, here at Park. Hold babies, change diapers, and love on the little ones, right? We are a baby-producing factory here, right? <laughs> so we need those people. Do you love to hold babies? You can do that here and serve the body while you do it. There are so many ways to fulfill your ministry, and God knows. So trust him, hold on to him, ask him, and be patient. Sometimes it takes 52 years, sometimes it's faster than that. And so let's, let us all seek him and discover what God's ministry is for us. Um, as we move to, uh, I grabbed a little packet, but I didn't bring it up. The, no, the uh, communion packet. We're going to, uh, go, going to take communion together. I'd like us to look together at John chapter 20. Um, if you're a fast flipper and you want to go there. I'm going to begin in, uh, in verse 20. John chapter 12, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were, were some Greeks. So, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. We're going uh, to see here in a second that what he's talking about here is he's about to die. He's about to be crucified on a cross, and by this he will be glorified. This is just a couple days before his crucifixion. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is about to exemplify this. He's about to be like a grain of wheat that goes into the earth and dies, and through that will bear the greatest fruit ever, right? The forgiveness of sins, and he will rise from the dead and bring life to all by living this out. But Jesus applies it immediately to his disciples. In verse 25, whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Christian life is a life of surrender. It's of losing your life, of hating your life. It, the word here is a comparative word that means that you, you, uh, you love something so much that it looks like you don't even love 
yourself, right? And so we hate ourselves. In other words, we surrender ourselves completely to God. And he says here that when we do that and we serve him and follow him, that God honors us. How cool is that? God loves it when we surrender and serve him, and the Father will honor us. Then he says this, verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. Jesus says, My soul is troubled. Why? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He's talking about the hour of his death. He's looking at it right in the face, and he's troubled. Of course he is. It is a cruel, torturous death, right? And he knows he's going to take the sin of the world on himself, the punishment of the world, the greatest suffering that has ever and ever will be poured out. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus came for this purpose and he was willing to suffer the greatest suffering ever in human history. Sometimes serving and fulfilling does cause great pain, great suffering, but it's all for the glory of God. And so Jesus wanted to be glorified because he is God and should be glorified and he wanted his Father to be glorified. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it. I have glorified your name, son. And I will glorify it again. The crowd stood there and heard it and said, and said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now the judgment of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and when I am lifted up on the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus suffered to draw us to himself and to crush the head of Satan. Amazing. It was worth it. This was his purpose in facing that hour. And so as we come to the elements, I want us to think about the suffering that Jesus went through to fulfill his purpose. That purpose has to do with us. And I'd like us as, as a community to once again surrender ourselves, reflect as a community, reflect as individuals on our own life. Where are you right now? Where is your heart? Are you following the Lord? Are you serving the Lord? Are you loving the body, using your, your gifts? Most of all, are you living a life of daily dependence on God? Let's reflect together as we do this. Let's begin by taking, taking the top off our little packets. I'm not sure I can get mine. No fingernails. Thanks. It's good to have the body of Christ. 
<laughs> Let's celebrate together the body of Christ, which is broken for us. Let's also open the, the bottom part of the cup. Jesus said that this is the new covenant in his blood. A new covenant. The old covenant was a covenant of sacrificing of animals, right? The new covenant, Jesus gave his life as a once-for-all sacrifice. This is the new covenant that Jesus has poured out his blood for our salvation. Let's celebrate that together. Let's pray. We are amazed at you, Lord Jesus, and your, your goodness, your grace, your willingness to suffer for us. And miraculously and amazingly, you call us to be your followers. We, we absolutely do not deserve it. We absolutely do not deserve forgiveness, new life, an inheritance, an eternal inheritance in you. We don't deserve the Holy Spirit in us. We don't deserve your presence in us and that you have chosen to suffer for our sake. I pray, Lord, that you will help us this day to reflect on you, reflect on your word, reflect on our lives, and to humbly come before you, willing to serve in any way and willing to suffer for your name. We pray this together in the name of Jesus. Amen.